Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Uh, Andy Boyle joining you this Monday morning for I Teach Live with my host Stephanie and Anissa. It feels like a Monday. <laughs> it totally Holy feels like a cow. What kind of issues are we having this morning? Okay, maybe that's better. Okay, just proving it's a Monday once again. All right, good. Yeah, I got it, Anissa. All, All right. right, fantastic. Hot so. Mess Express coming to you live, except we're not live. So you guys are going to be listening to this back on podcast form. Um, we've got some firewall issues here at the university today, so I apologize for all of those who... They're burning. I know, they're burning down, um, who are trying to get on live. Uh, we are going to still run the show and publish it out same day so that people can get a listen in, because um, we've got some really great information and, and concepts to share, and we want to be able to get this out to you same day absolutely absolutely fantastic so how was everyone's weekend ladies y'all have a good weekend yeah busy weekend um rainy weekend kind of yesterday was kind of mopey but uh got caught up on some netflix you know this netflix generation we wait and binge watch everything um so that was really good what about you anissa well i tried not to work but i did a little bit of that Mm. i have a tendency to and you know checked off some things off the to-do list Uh, you know both better than me I, i played mr mom as mrs boyle and my oldest son were in orlando for um for soccer so I was here with my youngest son, and we had he had three games oh, this geez. weekend, one in Macon. So Saturday we were in Macon. It was beautiful. I got mm-hmm. some sun. Yesterday, two games. We had 140 minutes of nothing but pouring down, soaking rain. rain. Oh, my goodness. I'm surprised they let y'all play on the well, turf They're on turf. Like that. Yeah, uh, as long as it's turf. not lightning, you know, play yeah. ball. So, golly, we were, we were soaking wet. And Yet another indication that I am meant for mental muscle strength <laughs> and not physical exertion. <laughs> Holy moly. So again, for those of you listening this morning, um, you know, hopefully somebody can hear us out there. I don't know that you can, but uh, we will be monitoring the hashtags. Uh, I teach live. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Uh, hit us up with your questions. The phone lines we hope are working for 70 you want to give us a call and uh, talk to us today, we've got a great lineup for you this morning. It is uh, spring. It's end of the year. And so assessment and testing is on everybody's mind and on everyone's agenda. So we're going to be talking about uh, authentic and adaptive assessments this morning as a condition for personalized learning. Um, After we talk about assessments, we've got a special guest uh, joining us today, our own Medi911, Lee Martin. She'll be here to talk about all things maker ed um, and how maker ties into assessment and uh, you know maybe some giant KSU I teach maker bus news Spoiler and alerts. giant launch coming up Wednesday so you know she had she had some spare time she didn't have anything going on so we asked Lee oh, right. to join us uh, in the booth this morning so she's here she'll be talking with us Um, we've got, uh, we're going to be talking about some summer tips, um, for summer PD for fall PL is kind of the headline there. Some things that teachers can do, um, to stay in the right mindset and to prepare for, um, you know, however they're rolling out personalized learning, whether it's, you know, they're just starting on their own or whether they're in a school or a district that's, uh, that's knee deep in it already. So some things you can do to, um, make sure you're sharp and focused in 
and ready for personalized learning in the fall. Uh, and then finally, we're going to wrap up with a second installment of plug-in parents. Um, and so, you know, we're all going to be home with kids over the summer. Those of us that are Not parents. all of us. Some, right. Some but I guess us. that's us in the room. Right. Yeah. Yeah, all of us minus Lee. Her kids are grown and out. She's an <laughs> yeah, empty nester. Lucky so, duck. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll be talking about some things that parents can do um, over the summer. You know, plug-in parents. What do you do with your kids when they've got devices? You know, are they staring at screens? all day or are they going to get outside and build some forts and um yeah. you know so we'll see we'll talk about uh, some of those things we can do so um, well as we get rolling here i think it's the perfect time to set the mood for the day with our word of the day um and this one i think is extra special for all of us in testing season in the season of a maker bus launch in the season of um a lot coming to a pinnacle um and the word for today is cathexis. It is an investment of mental or emotional energy. And so I don't know that there's anyone out there listening today that's not having some kind of cathexis. <laughs> we are all uh, sort of at a precipice of a lot of things come and do. I know for my kids, um, you know, my little one who's in third grade, they've just wrapped up milestones in Cherokee County, but they're now rolling into end of unit assessments um, this week. And so it's just a lot. It's a heavy time. And so every Everyone right now is experiencing um, that investment of mental or emotional energy, a cathexis. Hmm. Also, shout out to Kate Middleton, who had her third baby this morning, Ooh. baby boy. So she just went through a little emotional cathexis. Oh, congratulations, uh, yeah. princess. <laughs> yes. So uh, congrats across the pond. So we will jump in with that word in our minds today that we can just acknowledge it and not get stressed about it and just roll through. I'm trying to have a cathexis on the show today, but for some reason I feel intellectually absent so far. So we'll see uh, if I can. It's a little bit of a foggy get in the groove. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit of a foggy Monday, but we're going to push through. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so fantastic. So let's 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 jump right in because yeah. I think we've got a lot to talk about and a lot yeah. to say. Um, and this is a this is a giant topic, um, and it's so important. Um, and that is, of course, um, assessment and how uh, how we make assessment authentic for our learners how do we how do we as teachers how do we grade those authentic assessments what do they look like and and how do we how do we grade them and then finally this key component of adaptive assessment and what does that look like and you know you know I think as teachers we need help from here this is where we need um, help from people out in the software and the the, the programming world out there to help us with these adaptive assessments. We've got some examples mm -hmm. of adaptive assessments in the classrooms today, um, but we're going to talk about, uh, you know, accessibility to those adaptive assess sure. assessments right now. I think that's very limited. Um, and, and how does all this fit into personalized learning and, and in particular our vision for personalized learning in, in a K-12 environment? So um, who wants to start it off? Let me let me start it off. Yeah. I'm going to start it off. Go so for it. Go for it, Andy. I've got Mike a question off. for our two to the two intellectual giants uh, in the booth right. here. <laughs> Who have admittedly Living. said we're feeling a little foggy. Foggy and empty. so Monday. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask foggy and empty over here a question. So here's, here's I, I want to start with auth authenticity. And really, let's kind of define uh, what is the state of assessment in, in public schools today? If we walk into just a 
you know, plain Jane, typical, any K-12 public school off the street, um, what does what does assessment look like right now? This is your Stephanie. Yeah, I'll take, I'm going to knock this one out of the park at first by answering with a non-answer. I, I struggle to ever represent all of what happens in public school with one definitive response because I think in the last five years particularly, we're seeing classroom by classroom, school by school, district by district, change happen. And so I think we're all across a continuum. And it, I could give you, you know, sort of the the beginning stage of what assessment has traditionally been for the last hundred or so years. Um, and then I think that there are schools and classrooms even down to that classroom level, which I really think is the unit of change that we need to be looking at right now is that teacher by teacher, what are they contributing and investing into the change of assessment? Um, but I think they're all the way up to something that is highly authentic, highly adaptive. Um, but I'll just kind of give an experience out of my own classroom. You know, it was very typical for me to follow a very traditional path of assessment for the first few years of my teaching career because I co-planned with folks who followed a pacing guide who had um, common assessments. And I know that's a term that we hear a lot in public right. schools is that we need to have common um, summative assessments, but now also common formative assessments, which I tend to pick a little bit of a bone with because a formative assessment can be really anything and everything. Um, and to have something that's a, a commonality draw stick out of that is very difficult if you want something that's authentic and adaptive. That right. feels very constrained and predictive. Right. Um, so I think that there's that. And then, you know, at the same time, over the course of several years, I started to see that kids were not engaging with assessments well. Um, I could see much more authenticity from them and what they were truly capable of outside of an assessment environment because we all pulled together for these um, sort of, you know, macro created very generic and vanilla sorts of assessments that were meant as a catch-all that really caught nothing. Right, and right. so over the course of time, I started doing a little bit more of a project-driven assessment, um, You know, certainly not personalized in those early stages. Everyone was going to design a house or come up with a script as if you were the cast of the real world and talk about the home you live in. You know, I taught Spanish, so remember it was um, you know, basal vocabulary and grammatical structures. But we, we had some fun with it, but it was still one assessment for all. Right, right. Um, and, you know, maybe Andy can attest to this a little bit. As you saw me in my last year's uh, teaching as a coach in my classroom, I really started to do much, much more formative assessment very informally, not prescriptive, not common formative assessment, and very little summative assessment. And the summative assessments that I provided were pretty open-ended. I mean, I usually gave sort of a, uh, you know, a choice board of sorts, but then always left one of those choices. If you've got a better idea come up to me and we'll approve it and we'll talk through it. And then you can do whatever you want to do to demonstrate to me that you've learned this material. Right Now, on that far end spectrum, was I all the way authentic? Probably not. I was just really struggling for choice and voice in that authentic environment. So there was mm -hmm. some authenticity. But as far as authentic assessment as it pertained to the real world, I think there was a lot of room for growth for me personally. Um, the adaptability was not there um, because again i was still manually driving all of this really analog situation they were turning in digital products for sure and we were leveraging tech but it was not something that was adaptive to where they were we were still following that overarching pacing guide you know the majority of the time and so i think that's what you see 
in public schools right now. You see people at every different stage of that, and then you see what has happened in the five years since I left the classroom with the advancements of technology and software that are available to us to be adaptive is that the adaptive nature of assessments has probably grown by leaps and bounds, but we've left authenticity in the dust a lot of times. And so it does very much feel like this mutual exclusivity of one or the other. And I'm trying and I'm searching even in my own work to find a place where they meet at the same point and we can provision both of them in the same environment. Right now I see things that are really adaptive or really authentic, but I'm still not seeing out there in the ecosystem across K-12 something that does both well. So that's kind of what I see. Authenticity to me also is something that I think is a little tricky. Um, People want to say something's authentic if they can pull a news article and relate it to the assessment. Or they want to say that it's authentic if, you know, they use... um, a sales ad out of Cosmo as part of their econ lesson. That's not authenticity. And I think we've misconstrued that term a little bit. I think relevancy um, plays a piece into authenticity, whether we're talking about um, it's relevant to the student's current life Mm -hmm. and surrounding environment, whether they're doing some sort of authentic task related to their school community and environment, or it has some sort of relevancy to the workplace or the, the voting um, atmosphere, their their civic duties. So That's how right. would students have sort of a cognitive apprenticeship to the mm-hmm. real world that that might that might be a good litmus test as to whether or not is authentic. Absolutely. And something that doesn't stand on its own outside of the constraints of a school or your classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think if I did my own internal audit of the assessments that I ran, very few of them, if any, would have stood on their own as a as a piece that someone would be able to demonstrate in the real quote air quote real world outside of my classroom in our context it was not authentic um and so yeah you can pull all the realia that you want that's the official term for all of those pieces of artifacts of real life and and slap them onto an assessment but authenticity that does mm-hmm. not make <laughs> so I, I think we do need to um maybe even internally as teachers, just sit down and create sort of a checklist or a thought flow for how we determine something's authenticity. Because I don't think it's a yes or no. I think it's a gradient, just like most things are. That's a great Um, idea. I wonder if our uh, listeners would like to participate in that. What would go into a checklist of authenticity authenticity for an assessment? I think that'd be great tweet that back to us. Yeah. And we can compile all those and send them out to folks. But Mm -hmm. I think if you've got good questions that you ask of yourself, you know, assessments are like anything else that we hire in the classroom to do a job for us. So what are the interview questions for authenticity that you would ask of an assessment? Mm -hmm. I think that that would be great. So yeah, shoot us out some ideas on I teach live on Twitter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Fantastic. I oftentimes when I, when I'm thinking about it, I I think of, uh, you know, what, what does it look like in the real world, right? Mm-hmm. So we, I know, you know, I've got two middle school boys and um, they're good test takers, you know, like I was growing up. So they, they may have some not so good performance grades and then they take the test and they score really high on it. And then, uh, you know, so I'll, I'll email the teacher about a grade or something and I'll say, you know, is their grade reflective of what they're learning? Because when I look at their grades, you know, they've got eight grades that are, let's say they're high C's or low B's and they're in there as formative. And then they got a 99 mm-hmm. or 103 on this summative test. You know, I, I have to ask myself, are, are we really assessing what they're learning? And then I think sure. we got to tie in here to grades. I know when it's not really on the menu today, but you know, 
this is all, you know, we're trying to measure what our kids are learning and they're demonstrating. And, yeah. and does that grade really, at the end of the day, does is it, it does it show, yeah, what they're learning? Because I, you know, I had a, you know, let me get off topic here and on a bit, on a, on a soapbox, um, I got I got a lazy eighth grader, hmm. right? And so who doesn't have a lazy eighth grader? Got a, if you have an eighth grader, he's got a he's got a class that he's not too thrilled about. You know, does it? It's not very engaging for him, and so he he's, he doesn't do a lot of hard work. He doesn't put forth a ton of effort. He's got a really bad grade. Mm-hmm. Um, over spring break, there was an extra credit opportunity offered, and so he did it. We you know we made him. Mm-hmm. Mom and dad cracked the whip because your grade's no good. You need to take this opportunity, um, and so he did it. It went in the grade book. And his grade went from a low C overnight to a 105. Yeah, see. And so, so I took yeah. to Twitter and I tagged the principal mm-hmm. and I said, what's going on with this extra credit? Like, look at this. Like, like as a parent, I'm great. His, you know, I'm glad that his grade is out of the gutter. But look really at his grades. Sure. This is not reflective at all over what he is demonstrating in class that he's. Unless so the yeah. extra credit assessment is. Actually, more authentic, more authentic, and it's <laughs> right. project based or problem based. Yeah. Oh, it was not. So I'd it was love a worksheet. to. I'd love to ask Anissa this question as a researcher. Mm-hmm. I'm. I have not dive dove into the research in this you know sort of area, but I'm curious about assessment and whether or not K twelve assessments are held to a reliability and a validity. You know where we really see are they are, most times, and I can just answer. You know from my own experience, no, <laughs> you know, unless it was something that was provisioned by the state, which I know or runs the district. through or the district. So they make sure that, so whenever it's the state or the district, sure. they're aligning those test questions individually to curriculum standards sure. and outcomes that they're expecting. So that, that gives you the validity mm-hmm. measure, right? Mm-hmm. If it's reliable, then it depends on whether or not um, consistency in grading indicates a student's knowledge, right? right? And if it's consistent with that. So I think that's, you know, a deeper question here is we've got authentic and adaptive, but is it reliable and is it valid? (laughs) And then also, especially when you get down to teacher-made assessments. Sure. Um, You know, there's some teachers who do a wonderful, wonderful job of aligning their curriculum and making sure that their test questions or assessments um, match those Mm -hmm. instructional objectives and curriculum standards. But not everyone does. Sure. And that's some professional development that could be really valuable in some cases, especially with novice teachers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Uh oh, hey, so I got to interrupt real quick. May just rolled through here with Chick fil A. We have a standing rule. Yeah, you got to You got to bring, you got to do some for everyone. Can't roll through here with one biscuit. Let her go. (laughs) The chicken mini. All right, sorry. We got got side card by a, uh, derailed by a chicken (laughs) biscuit right there. My bad. But she left a waft of delicious ice. I know. I appreciate that. Chick fil A, we're looking for sponsors. Right. If you're interested. You want to sponsor? our morning show breakfast you let us know <laughs> all right Jeez, so where were we? here's another question um you know we've talked about this authenticity and i definitely want to create this knock list so to speak these interview questions for an authentic assessment but when we think about what is authentically assessed and how does that look in our day-to-day adult workplace or, you know, area of expertise lives. What does that look like? And I can't think of a way in which I am assessed as a professional 
that was ever a way that I was assessed in my K-12 learning experience. Absolutely. Completely devoid of any relic of that. Or a conversation day. right now. In the workplace, or at least in our workplace, it's a conversational experience that's right. to be evaluated, mm-hmm. um, to be assessed on your performance. But that's not what's taking place in most of our classrooms. Sure. Very passive, mm-hmm. with very little room really for um, constructive feedback to be able to improve. Well, and there's also, I, I think there's a lack of trust of our teachers to make a good evaluation, a proper assessment of those students. And I think that's unfortunate because mm-hmm. I think our teachers are very capable of that's that. Right. Um, and especially with some professional development and how that might take place, I think we could trust our Absolutely. teaching workforce to make a valid and reliable assessment of their students. And I do, I think too, you know, phone a friend. We can, you know, pull a little Regis Philbin here and call someone in the field. You know, for me, it would have been really easy to connect with the CIA office in Atlanta and ask as you hire interpreters and translators, what are you looking for? How do you assess them? Can I get a copy of that assessment? Can I, you know, go down to the courthouse and for, you know, clerical, interpreters in the courtroom? Can you show me what assessment you pass them through to be able to hire folks to do this work? So I think we need to be able to lifeline out to our areas of expertise in the workforce to folks who are doing the jobs that our kids may or may not be interested in, but certainly align with our content area as far as that authenticity goes. So tell me what you think of this. So I'm I'm not saying this is or is not authentic, um, but I, I traveled to Norway a few years back to do some research on the schools there. Um, and in that process, I was asking what their primary summative assessments were. And at this one particular school, they had a very different summative assessment process than what we're used to. And this was how the finals, the end of course exam type experience was. Mm-hmm. And students were assigned a, uh, a time to take their exam, and it was approximately uh, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. They entered... The gymnasium they sat at a table a panel of teachers um, sat at a table facing them and people could sit in this in the uh, stands if they wanted and they sure. could listen or or not um, but they were asked a very unique question on a topic related to their studies but was authentic or they tried to phrase the questions to be authentic in nature. And the student had 20 minutes to speak on that. And they were assessed. Now, I did not get the rubric, so I don't know exactly how they were assessed. But it was certainly um, a high-pressure experience for those students, you can imagine. Um, But what are your thoughts on Well, I mean, as a professional who's frequently called to um, stand up and talk about a topic, you know, that I may or may not have had any um, prep time for or anything like that, I can certainly tell you that that's very authentic to my world. I think to many people who present information in a variety of ways on a variety of topics, the format of that assessment to me is very authentic. I tend to be a little bit more works driven than mm-hmm. speech driven mm-hmm. in what I would qualify as authentic assessment. I think a lot of people can talk about a lot of things and sound great, but when it comes time to do them, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe they're not so, that's so handy. Yeah. So I think that's where, and we'll tie into this later, I think the, the maker revolution in education marries that idea. Mm-hmm. 
you can't have one without the other, right? You can't be a TED, a TED Talk, you know, vigilante, but then go back and not do any of that work, right? I talk a lot about, you know, Todd Rose's TED Talk and the myth of average. Well, if all he did was talk about that and write a book, but then not demonstrate it in practice, then he's invalid to me. He lacks credibility. That's exactly mm -hmm. right. And so I think that that's a great first step. That example, I think, you know, as a, as a senior exit interview, I think that some schools are trying something similar to that. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's the full weight of what I'd like to see in an assessment, but I do think it captures that authenticity of um, experience. Mm -hmm. What about you, Andy? I was looking at the Twitter feed. And so no. What'd you say? <laughs> Not circling stuff. back What's to you. Next? You had another The Conestoga left you. Uh, I'm sorry. I was trying to see if anyone was uh, posting any questions. I think we're so low. Hear us. No, I think we're dead in the water. That's well, all right. I mean, the Twitters are still tweet tweeting in their pockets. I mean, okay, well. If they, well, I guess I didn't tell you. They don't have anything to listen to to tweet about. Yeah. All right. So so another question I have. Yes. So, and again, this this is personal experience. I, was, I went to uh, my sixth grader is in band mm. this year. He's playing the trumpet. And I went for... Or, uh, open house and the, uh, the band instructor, the teacher, what do you call a band leader? Band, band uh, director, right, the conductor, the conductor or the director um, was going through kind of expectations and, you know, what the class is going to look like and this and that. And then they got into grade and they, you know, so they say, here's the deal on grades. There's no reason why every student in this class will not have a 100 at the end of the semester because we're, we're mastery driven. We assess what they're learning. And if they haven't demonstrated mastery, they go back and they practice and they're, they're only graded on those assessments that they do. There's not a, a minimum or a maximum number of assessments they're required to do, but they just go through and assess, uh, which in my is 100% authentic assessment. They have to play the piece of music. And if they can't play it, they go back and they practice it. Sure. And they do it again. And this kind of ties in with mastery and assessment. But as so, so my question here is, is, I think it's, it's easier for a lot of these authentic assessments in some of these extracurricular type classes, right? I think it's easy for an authentic assessment in PE or gym, right? So do the push-ups, go out and do all this stuff, right? It's easy to band and an art, make a sculpture or create a piece of art that demonstrates these things that we're doing in class and these themes that we're talking about. So how do we, what does it look like in something that I think is not quite as easy, like social studies, you know, as a social studies teacher, these, the, the, the product was kind of difficult sometimes to mm -hmm. implement. And, you know, when Anissa was talking about uh, in Sweden, uh, talking Norway. Norway, I'm sorry, answering the question, um, that to me sounds like a, like social studies would be very good for that. But how do we, you know, how does, how do social studies teachers is my question at the end of the day here, this long well, the challenge with the, the core subjects is that that's not how the nature of knowledge works anymore. That's right. So I was just going to say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, when you go to band class and you're learning about notation and you're learning about, um, uh, control of, of wind and, and breath, um, you're learning about tone and pace and, Lots of other things I don't know about music. Mm -hmm. You're you're taking lots of what you play, Anissa? Because you've got so you're a flute, clarinet. What what are you? Call it or, out. 
It was the French horn. French horn. So I could have pegged it in a heartbeat. I knew there was there was something there was in a, a heartbeat. There's an inner band. I was going a band nerd in here. Let's see, ten, 10 years, eleven years. I played the clarinet though. Okay. So still a woodwind, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that that's very true. You can um, define your expertise in all those areas. But the content. Mm-hmm. is static. So if you go to math, it's not that only mathematicians use math. You're That's not right. going to just do, it's not authentic to just do a mathematician's work. Right. You know, whether you're engineering, mm-hmm. right? Or you're, I, I use math as a researcher, but I wouldn't call myself a mathematician, a mathematician <laughs> or may, maybe I am just a, a you're, yeah, you're a type of one. Right. So, yeah. um, Anybody who does their checkbook. Mechanics use right. math. Construction. I mean, Absolutely. right measure twice, cut once. So I think that's once. the thing. You've got to connect back to the performance-driven outcome of that content area. No one is, very few people, I don't want to say no one, very few people are a social studyist, right? Like, it's not like you go through... Sociologists? Sure. That's the right word for it. Okay. <laughs> um, doesn't sound as cool. <laughs> Anyway, but it's very slim. Right. Slim. That's very, very we slim. Use social studies knowledge in correct. All and of so our- I think that that's what the case for interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary units of study come to play. My ideal school would not have content area silos. I think that that's a really archaic way of thinking about how to manage a lot of learners with a minimal amount of leaders. Well, I think a signal of this happening actually mm-hmm. started with. Um, it was first tech or it was math and science became, uh, you know, start merging these courses, start doing projects across curricular. Right. So it was, it was humanities. And, and then they added, not, yes. And then they added technology and right. then they added, added engineering. Then now it's they've art. added arts. Then it was now it's stream with reading. So it's everything because the nature of knowledge That's no right. longer fits into right. these little boxes because it's all integrated. Right. And with the democratization of information, we can't, we can no longer remain committed to the idea that all you'll need to know, you'll learn in school. Right. You know, I, I just looked at the book yesterday that I picked up at a scholastic book fair back in the day. Everything I need to know, I learned from a golden book. And you know what was not in there? Any math formula, right? Any social studies fact or map fact. It was much the the ideas of making and constructing and connecting and relating and communicating all of those things that we know make an assessment or life authentic and meaningful. Well, it would be a shame to send students out into the world only having slivers of knowledge, the sliver of math, the sliver of science, the sliver of of language arts. Instead, what they need is the connections between all of it and how it all works together in order to function in modern society. And there's actually a lot of neuroscience that backs this up. I'm dabbling a little bit right now in this um, innovation science. And there's really a lot that backs up the idea that it's not about isolated information pockets. It's about the synapses and how your neurons connect information and relate it to what you encounter in life. If we don't have good bridges between what we know, then what we know doesn't stand. We have to be able to connect it. And all those relay points are made in that interdisciplinary, transdisciplinary environment. Um, The other thing that I wanted to say about what Andy asked about is, you know, I think a lot of times we, we don't serve, and I'll speak just from I teach perspective, you know, 
know, in our role in the coaching environment, very few times is it a principal that we meet with that says, I want you to work with my performance driven, you know, courses. I want you to go into art, PE, music, world language, uh, modern languages. I, I want you to go in those classes because they're primed and ready. They don't even realize that those courses that are really performance driven because it's not about downloading all this information. It's about what can you do with the knowledge that's out there. Um, and I think what we're starting to see is that tipping point. We're forcing ourselves into those areas. We've got lots of coaches right now working in PE, lots of coaches right now working in those um, performance-driven areas. And the jump between traditional non-personalized learning to personalized learning in those content areas is much faster. It's like a super highway because they're already thinking, I don't have to download facts and information to these learners. I need to see what they're able to do with it. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of room for growth in that area. Um, but I also think that it's sort of, um, we're creating a scapegoat by saying, well, it's easier there than it is everywhere else. There are things that are much harder there than they are in other content areas. And I think that's the number one thing that has always annoyed me <laughs> as, as a teacher, then as a coach, now as a consultant and someone who goes in and supports schools and districts. Everybody wants to live in a deficit mindset that says it's too hard for me because right. in my content area, in my grade level, with my resources, with, quote, these kids, whatever that looks like, stop doing that. You've got to stop that narrative. It's not about how hard it is. It's about what are my opportunities? What are the signals that I have in my content area or at my school or in my neighborhood or because I know somebody that works in field or whatever that looks like? We, have, we are primed with possibility and opportunity. We've got to kick out of that negative deficit mindset though because people aren't seeing it. They'd rather say, well, I can't do it. I'm math. I teach calculus in a high school that, you know, has 12 APs. Well, guess what? Newsflash, Holmes. Those kids would knock that AP test out of the water with or without you. What value are you adding? Mm -hmm. So we've got to start thinking about value add and looking at our opportunities and our resources that we do have rather than all of this noise in the background. Soapbox removed. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> all right. So. I'm still Googling a lot of the words that she said over there. So that's <laughs> Get uh, out of here. <laughs> Some of them are in the Stephanie dictionary. Right? Yeah. 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 The Stephisms. <laughs> that's all right. Sometimes if words don't fit the meaning that I want, I make up my own. And you know what? That's an authentic assessment. She's a maker. She's I am a maker. a maker of words. Word maker. <laughs> that sweet voice you hear is Lee. That oh, is oh, Lee Martin. Yeah, Lee. Snuck in on the mic over there. Fantastic. So what, uh, what can teachers do today? Um, you know, if let's say we're, we've been giving for the past 14 years, a common multiple choice sure. summative assessment, you know, every six weeks or at the end of every unit, what are some, some things teachers can do to start moving towards a more authentic assessment of their students? So if we're, yeah. if we're talking in terms of baby steps and let's talk baby steps, cause I think, uh, you know, that's, that's what we need to do. Slow to go fast. Yeah. yeah. So I think, well, what are some, what are some I, things we can do to move towards? I want to start by saying that it's not appropriate for everybody to just immediately throw out everything you've done. You know, I would love to say to people, imagine you were going to come back from summer, you know, vacation and your entire, entire file cabinet and all of your electronic drives were missing. 
like the pandemonium that would set across. But I do think that a little bit of this, you have to force your own hand. Stop going back to the cabinet and pulling the same unit, you know, unidad tres etapa uno out of the file cabinet. Hold on. What just happened? It was, <laughs> I'm Spanish teaching. Stop pulling that folder out and just flipping through it and going to the copy room or sending it to the PTA mom. Stop doing that work. That's step one. That's the baby step. Quit giving yourself permission to be lazy about assessment. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I was guilty of it, too. I'm just saying that's a good first step is to hold yourself accountable for just because I've always done it this way doesn't mean that it's what's best for kids, nor does it mean it's what's best for us. I think a lot of times we think, well, this is, you know, easier to do and less work. Right. But you're draining your fulfillment tank when you do that. You're draining your passion tank when you do that. Um, So, but maybe when mm. we're talking about just getting started, you know, maybe if you are investing some time in a, in a unit, one particular unit where you're going to not go to the cabinet and pull the same file at the same time, those other units, we might need to give them the freedom to pull from the cabinet fine for now and don't don't light them on fire i guess i <laughs> until uh, yeah. we build a repertoire sure. and comfort with with personalizing our assessments and making yeah, them authentic. I mean, I'm all for that and I get it. And I know there are a lot of people out there that need to do that. I just know myself mm-hmm. as an educator, I would have needed to drop a bomb and mix it all up. It wouldn't have been enough for me because I would have felt like the release of, oh, I just have to do this once and no pressure to ever go down and do everything else. Um, so I guess find your place along the spectrum. You know your own bandwidth and what you are capable of. It also, I just want to say this too, it, it matters what your PLC looks like. It matters what your school culture looks like. Absolutely. It matters what your leader looks like. So another great first step is to have a conversation with all those people and say, I don't think what we're doing is good enough. How can we improve this? What can we do? I think it would be also really valuable if you, you do that first unit that's authentic the pilot to stop (laughs) and to reflect on how you felt as a teacher before you redesign um yeah before you move forward because you might find that while you planned to just go ahead and pull out of the cabinet moving forward right maybe something sparked in you or sparked in your students that was really you know brought the reason why you became a teacher back back to the surface i also would just say too as a cautionary tale you know kids are not going to love this I always well, feel like I need to be the voice of that. students will not Correct. love this. Here, the, any of you who teach kids who are hyper successful and arguing between a 96 and a 100, <laughs> those kids are going to fight back at this because they've conditioned themselves to be excellent at assessments That's the way right. that they were. And the higher the grade level you teach, the more years of conditioning and calcification around that they've received and the stronger the pushback will be. The well, kids who are typically unsuccessful, they've got nothing to lose. Will and be now fine it's with fun. It. Yes. And right. now they've got a, 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 you know, snowball's chance where before the system that wasn't working for them will remain unworking for all of their academic career. So steal yourself a little bit against that pushback from learners and their parents, because we all know that those high performing kids come with high achieving and real aggressive parents and just know attentive, attentive. Fine. I say aggressive. You say attentive. Um, But just know that that that's a part of the process. Right. And I think the more communication that you can put out about why you're doing it, any research you can find to support that effort and to be upfront and co-plan and communicative through the process, I think will just um, eliminate some of that pushback at the end. Absolutely. Now, let's yeah. say you have um, 
a, a class, maybe your high school teacher, and you've got a class that you're willing to try something new with. Now, Stephanie, you and I, we were trying to plan a new course here at That's KSU. Right. That's right. And we um, were working really, really hard and thinking really, really hard and pulling our hair out to try to come up with what would assessment in this classroom look like. Mm -hmm. And then it just dawned on us that we were working way That's too right. hard. We that had to this, throw the emergency brake on. Yeah. Um, we've got to turn over more of this power, this control actually mm -hmm. to the learner. And so you want to talk a little bit about what we kind of envisioned and, and yeah. it's possible. Um, this is untested, we should say, but Absolutely. it's possible the, this thought process and this plan might, might be worth trying in That's a, right. in a K-12 classroom. So I think when we throw out, um, you know, this traditional sort of assessment model, we feel like we've got to replace it with something. And that's where we were. We were at this point where we were like, okay, we've got to create then these rubrics and we've got to create all these different kinds of assessments. And we have to have carry the weight of the authenticity and the adaptability. Whereas really in a personalized learning environment, that's all on the learner. And so what we created is something that's not unheard of in K-12. Anyone who teaches kindergarten, first grade knows what a progress skills checklist is, right? Mm -hmm. So it's this prioritized collection of standards that you're held accountable for as a learner. And your teacher at multiple points in time We'll reassess you and sort of see where you're at. Well, we took that thought and said, okay, instead of us creating all these assessments, we're going to let the learners decide how they want to be, you know, sort of held accountable for their mastery. They could meet one, three, two, four of these standards in one assessment, and it's up to them, their pace. And their priority of those standards and how they master them is going to be up to them. And so, um, you know, heads up for those who are going to be in this course, it's not going to be something where you get the syllabus in, in advance and then you can Everything's just predefined. Right. <laughs> and for some people, that's going to feel very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. For people like me who want to punk it at every opportunity I can and just say, wait, I've already got something that shows that I can do this. Why should I have to do this other assignment? Um it's going to be great. So it requires you sharing with students what the standards are that they could possibly meet, sure. your collection that you're That's approaching right. maybe. And then you've got to describe for them what mastery looks like That's right. in the most general terms possible. Right. right. And so we're measuring the content rather than the product. And that's something that I think we've over rubriced to death. This 10 slides, the Times New Roman, 12 point font, you know, with transitions and all this other nonsense. I don't care about that. I want to know the meat and potatoes. If it was a journalism class, that might be more valuable. Correct. Uh, and there's certainly a place for formatting. I'm not saying that there's not. However, if I'm in a, you know, a science. Spanish class or a science class, I don't care as much about that. It has to read well. It has to be able to be communicated or maybe it's a, an audio clip. Maybe it's a podcast episode. Maybe mm -hmm. it's a visual representation. I don't care. And at the end of the day, I think the only pushback that we're going to see if people adopt this sort of philosophy of, of assessment is how do I grade this all? Well, if your rubric truly is a very nice description of what mastery looks like and what mastery does not look like, mm -hmm. then it's very easy to assess all these different kinds of products that come in. And something we've also talked about is this co-assessment, working with right. the student where the student is just, is describing to you, well, I believe I met mastery in this way and you can see this here. That's right. And, you know, as a learner myself in doing that, that metacognition that comes about just from saying out loud where your, your mastery levels are and what you've 
you know, demonstrated oftentimes will kick you into remembrance of something you forgot or something you want to add. And so um, you're self-reflecting prior to this conversation of reflecting. And then when the assessment is, you know, graded or you've either reached mastery or you've not, it's not a surprise. No one's shocked by that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think assessments become this dirty word, just like data, because people aren't finding the value in it as the recipient. As a recipient of an assessment or of data, if it's my data, if it's my assessment, gosh, I want to be valued in that. I want to know that I'm going to get something out of it that's either going to improve me or improve my outcomes. Mm -hmm. And if I can't say that that's true, then maybe we shouldn't be holding those assessments, you know? So again, it's not tested. We're going to roll it out and see what happens. Um, But I think that we will collect data and share that for sure. But I think that this is going to be sort of a new awakening. And then what a release valve as a teacher to not feel like I have to create all of these assessments, all of these rubrics, all of this material. There is going to be a challenge, though, if students don't have the executive function to take control of this this scenario, if they can't metacognate, if they can't uh, regulate and plan. Sure then then we've got a challenge on our hands. Absolutely, and I think that that's just the case for that prioritized executive function to be explicit. As an educator, I don't know that I would go in blind to any of this environment. I think I'd have to preload a lot of executive functioning. We'd have to do a lot of design thinking challenges in our classroom. We'd have to go through some iteration. We'd have to go through um, a gradual release of you know all of that executive function so that people, learners felt and educators felt like we had created a situation where there were no barriers in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, but this doesn't happen overnight. With adult learners, it's a little bit easier because that we portion of the brain is more ach- we mature. We can assume executive function. Right, that that frontal lobe is a little bit more um, you know, developed and that they're able to do that a little bit more. But certainly, again, you've got kids, you know, for sure, third graders who could operate in this environment, first graders who could operate in this environment. But I've known high school seniors that could not handle this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the higher the grade level, and again, with the more of those, um, you know, higher level classes, sure, we we'll definitely have to stress more of that as executive function. I think those are the kids that we've... Right. Um, well, they're the ones that want the high Escalante, right? They want to right. stand and deliver, pass me the paper test, let me get an A and move me yeah, along. Yeah, yeah. They're in the straight line in the hallway first. Right, right. On the, on Lip the and line. hip. They're not worried Lip about it hip. being fun anymore. No. But Lip learning is hip. fun when it's authentic. And gosh, oh, what, yeah. a, what a community and a culture of excitement and innovation will be sparked when people remember that learning is fun. I know that makes me sound like an old marm of a teacher, but gosh, it is. And I know that it's not been fun for people. And there's a lot of sludge in people's histories around learning that wasn't good and wasn't authentic and made them feel like it's a rite of passage. You have to do it. That's right. It has to be miserable. It's not fun when it's, you know, I'll just throw her out there again. She's probably dead now because I think she was a thousand years old when I had her as a third grade teacher. But, you know, third grade when Miss Barnes was tapping her chalk stick at the board, making us sing out multiplication tables, there was no joy in that. But as I've gotten older and as I've found situations to allow myself to be an engaged learner in places where, allow, where will, they will allow me to be that, there is a lot of joy. 
And then the joy is not just from the consumption of that, but then what can I create out of that? What opportunities are available for me to create out of what I've learned? What what conversations can I have now that I couldn't have before? What places can I go? What people can I meet? That's all contributing to the greater collective. And I think we've got to get back to that. Mm-hmm. And as- assessment that's authentic and adaptive is a great, great way to get there. So let's, let's I'm just looking at the clock here. Let's yeah. kind of shift the gears and move into adaptive. Let's talk a little bit about that. What what does adaptive mean? What would that look like? Um, what are some examples of adaptive assessments that are out there right now? And and kind of how do how do these things fit, or where should they fit? In, and in and the- are adaptive assessments always authentic? Yeah, the answer to that question is no. Yeah, but I'll let, I'll let Anissa talk. You know, her her background in online teaching. Um, it certainly allows her a better avenue to view some of the online and computer based adaptive assessments. We certainly support schools and districts that have a whole array of them that are very adaptable. Um, Based on the questions that you answer, you are tracked differently on the next question. Lots of data streaming. But, you know, well, the map test is a good example. That's exactly right. Right. So define real quick. In case there's someone out there who doesn't really even, you know, it's kind of like, what do they mean adaptive? What, what, what is an adaptive assessment? It responds to the previous responses. So, or it, it, what would you say? It reacts. It recalibrates. Yeah. It recalibrates based on the test taker or the assessment takers inputs. Um, so map assessment's a great example that's being used in Georgia right now. It's a, an assessment that depending on how you answer question A, you get a different question. Right. Or, so if you, know, you miss, if you miss question number one, right. question two should be easier right. than question one. Than one. If you get one right, question two That's right. And should sometimes be more the difficult. adaptability is not uh, question by question. For example, those who have taken the GRE for grad school, that's section by section. So your quantitative section one, depending on your scores, you will get different sets of questions on quant section two. Um, and so the adaptability really means that it's user informed. The, the person who's taking that assessment, their inputs are informing what appears next for them to interact with, whether right. it's question by question, section by section. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I don't You're think they're innately. At me. Yeah, well, it's, it's sort of like a question mark in my head, too. You know, I think that that sounds like it's a no-brainer, like we should just be doing that. But I I do have questions, and I think um, there's not an innate fallibility, but there's also not an innate value unless you've got adaptability with authenticity. And I think that if you are allowing your students to practice authentic assessment, the next assessment, you you are naturally going to adapt for them. So it's doesn't have to be if a you're computer doing authentic, generated. Yeah. And they, they and you you're not just doing a single authentic unit and doing one authentic assessment, but you ongoing um, have um, authentic assessments throughout the year, um, you're going to adapt for that learner, such as, for example, if the learner already has shown that they um, use great grammar, you know, on in how they presented their content um, according to a particular standard. You would expect them to maintain that throughout. Whereas another learner who did not show that they had great grammar, you would ask them to work on that and improve on that in their next assessment. So you're going to adapt anyways if you're doing an authentic assessment. But when we talk about adaptive assessments separately, we're kind of referring to these digital 
summative mandated test is typically what we're referring to, such as um, the MAP test. But we could suggest, I mean, could the Georgia milestones be adaptive, Stephanie? Yeah, and that's a suggestion I've actually made to the Department of Education. You know, if that assessment is going to be here for a few years... Um, and I do think that there's some rigor and relevance within the question bank there. I don't think that it's innately a, a bad assessment. I think there have been improvements made. However, I think that the fact that we take it at a prescribed time of year um, for all learners is just, quite frankly, the antithesis of personalization. And so if we were to make that assessment adaptive such that any student could take it and it would be essentially the same test, K-12, right? Um, and they would get as far as they were going to get in this variety of content areas, and they could take it multiple points throughout the year. Um, then, then I think we've got a good assessment on our hands. And I think with the ability to make that assessment machine readable, then it's just a matter of programming in the background, which I don't claim to be able to do, but I know there are a lot of people out there that could turn that into something that's adaptable. Once you've got those alignments question by question to the standards they reflect, it shouldn't be very difficult to make that something that that's a reality. And I think that would be a great big first step win for assessment across the state. Absolutely. Well, and Stephanie, you may know that recently SB 362. That's right. In the the state, uh, our state legislature, I believe it's passed and it's to establish an innovative assessment pilot program. Right. So this is the opt in for schools and districts that want to um, do some sort of alternative assessment. Um, And it might be one of these alternative assessment options for a school or district would be we're going to take that same question bank, but we want it to be, you know, adaptive and we're going to make it available to students multiple points throughout the year. This is also not a a free fall hold harmless, right? Within that bill, there is documentation of the fact that you have to have accountability measures. So whatever it is that you're going to do for your assessment plan, you've got to be able to stand that on a backboard. You can't just say, well, we're going to all color pictures of the fall leaves and that's the assessment. Um, So I don't want people to be fearful of that. There's a level of accountability always with legislation like this, but there's a great opportunity here as well. and if schools and districts are listening right now, reach out to your assessment officers, to those folks who are doing assessment for your school or for your district and say, know about this legislation. Let's opportunity. Let's make an opportunity out of it. Let's take advantage of this opportunity and work now so that really you can start the year with a new understanding of assessment. Well, and this law doesn't just change and allow for this pilot of innovative assessment. It has some other changes. And so I would like to invite that if there's anyone out there who is an expert in this law and has done some analysis of the law, I don't just trust it on Facebook. Uh, Yeah, no, I agree. We need a deep dive. I would love to have someone come talk with us and give us kind of, uh, you know, the the good and bad. Sure. uh, Because these, these who's, who's, who's sponsoring the bill? Who, do we know who wrote it? I believe Lindsay Tippins. Right. And I think Senator Tippins is now no longer on the ed committee. I think I heard that he stepped down. So So he's local too. So maybe we can. Yep. Maybe we can get a hold of um, if our friends and Sims, Miller, Stone, and Black. All right, so reach out to your friendly neighborhood uh, representatives and see if any of those uh, 
ed committee members would like to come well, and jump we certainly on IG know Live. that those people are all for it right so right. i'm talking about kind of a balanced view sure yes yeah. so if you are somebody who was in opposition to this yeah, oh, let's yeah there it. you go i would love to have yeah. uh, one of our representatives and someone absolutely to come and debate or, it. or one of the writers i mean many times and you know this is me and my schoolhouse rock many times when legislation is brought forward it's it's jumbo packaged in with a lot of other stuff so and were i there think parts this one this? is yeah absolutely and were there parts of this that were easier yeses than than others and were there parts of this that got eliminated because they were just not going to get through with those pieces of, of mm -hmm. the flexibilities i'd love to hear from somebody at the state yeah so yeah yeah i see some Great. good in it yeah but i'm also i see some that i'm well a weary eye so, always casts you know. upon the horizon right you got <laughs> stephisms what this is is that a real thing? That's like Moby Dick, is it not? Yeah, yeah thank you. <laughs> Lee the Librarian is in the house and can back me up. I haven't seen that movie yet, so I'm not familiar. <laughs> I'm out of here with that, Andy. <laughs> so one last thing. One last they thing I want to touch on. Right. And <laughs> one last thing I want to touch on here is uh, for the school leaders that are listening, how can they support teachers in um, in helping them integrate yeah. some more authentic or more adaptability in the way they're assessing That's students. A great question. I think first and foremost, don't claim to be an expert in assessment if you're not one. You know, as a school leader, it's always something that I encourage people to start with yes <laughs> instead of starting with no. So if someone approaches you and wants to try something different in the realm of assessment, a yes is a great place to start with, but then back that up with let's pull somebody in who really knows what they're talking about in this regard. Let's get you some resource to make sure we're going about this the right way. There are 95% of teachers out there have no idea about this legislation. School leaders probably don't know about it yet. Like there's a lot available to us, even within the purview of the state allowances for flexibility and assessment that people just aren't aware of. I think as a school leader, you got to get educated about that. You have to be able to resource people to the right focal points and then serve as a layer of protection. You know, when things are, are changing and different, it's going to get difficult for that classroom teacher. They're going to feel some heat and you've got to run that, you know, that point I think, guard a little bit. For them. I think, let me jump in. And this is like halfway got a word out. I'm going to, I'm going to intervene. And I think <laughs> Stephanie, I think you made a fantastic point. There's to be, be a safety barrier as a leader. I can, I can a test. I, I tried something new when I was in the classroom um, and I had my students create comics mm -hmm. to try to demonstrate that they understood the, the concepts that we were talking about in economics as an alternative assessment. And um, one of my parents who had a student, she, she was a fantastic student, um, really good at standardized regular testing maybe not so hot and you know this i threw a curveball and she she you know whatever so they were well connected and so they wanted to have a conference with me after the assessment was given and assessed and uh when i was sitting down with the parents they you know they informed me that they sent it to their friend who's a professor at ga of economics and he would have graded it higher than i graded it um Perfect. And, you know, it was just me and these two parents who are both very successful and um, have expectations. Uh, and it, it, uh, I handled it, you know, I handled it. But there, there, you know, it would have been nice if there would have been an administrator there beside me to say, hey, you know, back off. Or, hey, we're not even going to have this meeting. You know, there's no reason to even have this right. meeting. 
So, but I did it, and I think that I think that that's one place sure. where school leaders can definitely support teachers. And, yeah, and not blind to be faith, that barrier, but just a communication conduit. Well, yeah. and also if we look at change theory, that's um, right. One of my very favorite theories. Um, if you, chances are, if you're a school leader and you look around your school, you already have a a few teachers at least who have done some authentic assessments mm -hmm. identify which one of those is an opinion leader people trust that person they mm -hmm. go to that person they're they're well liked they're popular and then um, get that teacher to share what she's been doing and celebrate that or he or he yes or he celebrate that um, and in, and start to encourage and highlight examples of uh, authentic assessment Fantastic. Rather right. than it being a top-down, that's right, uh, required sort of situation, it's more likely to adopt, be adopted if your opinion leaders are sharing it around. Wow. Well, I can think of no better authentic and adaptive assessment than making, and that is why we have. Uh, Lee Martin in the house with us today. So we're going to switch segments here, jump from point A to point B, and talk a little bit about maker education. But can we first introduce Lee? Yes. Yeah, hold on, hold on. Before we do that, we are going to take a quick breather. Oh, um, take a break? We're going to take... That's a, a sneak peek. We're right. going to take a quick breather. So we've just been teasing. And uh, I want to... On Owl Radio. Squirrels Technology is a game changer for any teacher. Changer for Our any products teacher. let you wirelessly display, manage, and monitor devices from anywhere in the classroom. Put the cords and adapters away. It's time to collaborate, educate, and present freely. Top educators have discovered how squirrels can help maximize every moment their class spends with technology. And you can do the same. And you can Don't wait to see why squirrels products are using over 100,000 classrooms worldwide. Visit www.airsquirrels.com today. That's www.airsquirrels.com. And we're back. And let me just, you know, we've still got those Monday blues things going on here with our uh, with our laundry list of technical difficulties. If that's not a cool uh, echo reverb that I've been practicing <laughs> with my uh, BC DJ Boys Khaled got instructional in here and mixing our commercials. videos, we don't know what's going on. You're beautiful. We are. It's uh, excellent. We're trying to. It's a Monday, Andy. Have a good day. Hopefully, we'll get that ironed out <laughs> soon enough. Maybe we'll test my uh, my my sound editing skills when I cut this up, and maybe I can <laughs> repaste those um, those commercials and those promos in there without the echo. So uh, I apologize to the listeners, listener, no listeners. <laughs> I don't even know oh if we're working. Gosh. Is there anyone out there? Hello, Is there Mama? Can you hear me? Well, cue, cue we're, Floyd. we are going to compartmentalize all this and, and definitely set it out on the podcast. But this next section. I want everybody to pay attention to maker ed is definitely up and coming. Um, the philosophies of being a maker are something that we see infused um, daily more and more by classroom teachers. And we have an in-house expert, though she would never call herself so. Um, Lee Martin, who is one of our ed tech specialists here on the iTeach team at Kennesaw State University. She is the project lead for our maker bus, which will be launching this Wednesday. T-minus 40 
48 hours. It's literally 11 o'clock right now. So come rain or shine. T minus. It's supposed to be fine. Cloudy, 70. Oh, come rain, on. rain, stay away. Um, but Lee comes to us from uh, many years as a Medi, Media and Educational Technology Instructor, formerly known as Librarian, um, in lots of different places and with great experience. She is um, a, a great person to connect with if you are somebody on Twitter who's got questions about sort of innovation in your media center or your learning commons or someone who's got questions about maker activities. So you can hit her up. Lee, what's your Twitter handle? It's at Lee, Lee M. M. Librarian. Librarian. That's yep. what I thought. Okay. L-E-I-G-H. 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 That's all three Lee of us. M. The the librarian extraordinaire slash MakerBus project lead. So Lee, um, if you want to just kind of give yourself a little plug and intro, anything you'd like to say about your journey through life thus far? <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel really fortunate to be part of the. Andy's telling me I need to be closer to the microphone. I'm really uh, fortunate to be part of the Maker Bus here at KSU. It took a small skill that I had when I was working in the library. I started a tiny little maker space in our library, and it was one of the first ones in our county. And then I worked with a bunch of other librarians, and we started building them bigger um, and came here and was able to help Stephanie fulfill her dream of a bus that was a maker bus. Um, so we've been working on that for over a year now. And the final or the culmination of actually the start of it will be Wednesday. When we get everything out there, you can come and see the maker bus and experience some maker activities. Talk to some folks from Kennesaw that we have um, doing booths and learning some different maker um, maker tools that you can use. Yes. Yeah. And so shameless plug again, 11 a.m. here on campus at KSU on Wednesday, the 25th. Yeah. Um, and everyone is invited to right, this. That's right. Open to the public. So come on in and what, just what check it out. What parking lot would they be looking for? There are a couple of visitor lots that are close by. There's one across from the Convocation Center across Friday Road. There's also one over by the bookstore. Mm -hmm. And then there is one on the far end over near um, the Health, Wellstar Health and Human Services. It's called Prilliman Hall. And then uh, the Bagwell College of Education mm -hmm. building. So there's a visitor lot there as well. Um, maps are easy to find online if you just head to kennesaw.edu. And plan for parking. Absolutely. Because parking, I mean, we're going to be honest it's and transparent here. Yeah. Parking's a nightmare. So um, Carpool, come together. Carpool, if at, all, if at all possible. You can um, definitely jump on the, uh, the Bob buses if you park out across the street. <laughs> yeah. Or there's a wide array of eating facilities nearby. That would be a lovely walk over our new bridge. What's that thing called? The Skip, the skip, span. skip span Bridge. Skip yeah. Span Bridge. Great yeah. photo ops. Call, call me and I'll, I'll give motorcycle rides. Huh? <laughs> that Shuttle is not sponsored endorsement of Andy's motorcycle. On the back of the chopper and we'll, we'll get you over here. <laughs> the bus will be parked on Cobb Avenue between Bagwell College and the Convocation Center. Correct. So that's where you can find us. Correct. Fantastic. So, Lee, let's just let's start from way back when. And I know, um, you know, we started talking about the, the bus a while ago, and it's it's gone through several iterations of a um, you know an old broken down school bus or something to this and that. Kind of give us a little bit um, of a background on the journey that you've taken, and this doesn't have to be a gigantic thing because we do want to talk about Maker Ed, but just a little bit. We also want to talk about the bus. Um, a, little a little bit about what the the process that. Uh, that you and that Stephanie and that really all of us on the team here have have gone through over the past however many months it's been 
don't even know, probably yeah. a, year a year that we've been brainstorming and dreaming and, and making this happen. So tell, tell us about the process. And, well, it's and, been a year in our minds, but according to rumors I've heard, Stephanie <laughs> Stevens has had this in her mind for like four years yeah. now. So Yeah, um, I think uh, back when I was working at the Fulton District office, um, under the tutelage of one Hoke Wilcox, <laughs> I threatened slash promised one day that we would need a bus to really make what we wanted to achieve in schools and districts a reality. Um, you know, it's an antiquated viewpoint that you would pull everybody to you that you wanted to do outreach for. It's just like the antithesis mm -hmm. of what outreach outreach is. <laughs> so whether that's professional learning, um, a maker space, coaching, we needed to be able to get out and do this work. And it just totally morphed when we realized the talent plug that we had in Lee and the ability that she had to connect with people and to take on this the, the ownership of this project, then it was a no brainer. But we went from um, the idea to really a reality when we got the endorsement from the Dean of the College of Education, uh, Dean Arlinda Eaton, who um, oh, whether it's been a champion, yeah. I mean, whether yes, she wa right. wanted to be or not, became just a great champion of this cause. And um, in a in a stream of requests for funding, um, you know, authorized the funding of this bus, which was a leap of faith on her part of us and our vision. Um, and she's really become such a great advocate for our unit and for really maker education in general has come a long way in her understanding and, and then the support of others understanding of what it is. Right. So we're really appreciative to her and, um, and yeah, she, at a certain point we had a, an offer of a free bus, right, an old right. bus off mm -hmm. of a fleet. Um, and then she said, Nope, not good enough. <laughs> we need a new bus. <laughs> and so that's how we came to the point where we got this beautiful 33 foot, um, you know, it's got like 35 total miles on it and they've yeah. all been in transport, um, gorgeous, customized 100% for our purposes, ADA compliant with a lift bus, which is just the most miraculous thing. So it really, it allows us to, um, to bring maker education out to the folks that really need it, um, to, to increase the equity in this, this type of service in, in yeah. the community. And, you know, we've already gotten some funding, um, sponsorship from others. Cobb EMC has mm -hmm. funded some, uh, site visits in their service area. Our very first visit will yes. be funded by Cobb EMC. We're going to That's a Cobb right. County school for our very first maker. Yes. Bus and we've also partnered with Walton communities, mm -hmm. which, um, develop communities, not just housing, but support systems for families, uh, who are economically in need. And so we're also going to do a community visit um, with a bus here very shortly right, for them. Right. We'll be in their book parade. Yes, we got a parade <laughs> booked. Who's excited? I'm going to chuck candy from the front seat. I can't wait. I've always wanted to be in a parade. Yeah. I'll, I'll probably have to get a permit for that. So right. let's wait and see. <laughs> okay. And here's the best part of this whole process has been and I say best meaning worst, we have had to um, license ourselves with CDLs to be able to drive this bus. And yeah, it is worse. a process. Yeah, it is a process that has really checked my ego and absolutely 100% made me realize that I am not meant to drive <laughs> a truck. Um, and I have tried now. I'm on attempt. I've done two attempts and I've only passed half of the written tests I need. Um, and so here's a, here's a chance for us to talk about assessment a little bit, man. Yeah. It has just been a shock to the system. It has been so difficult for me to get through these tests, 
but we're making it happen. When we taught, when I heard you guys talking about, you know, authentic assessment and I was thinking air brakes. Right. Because <laughs> air brakes <laughs> and math go together right. for some reason. And oh, yeah. PSIs and MC tank. How much, uh, how much movement should there be on those slack adjusters? Yeah, we're going to have to talk about that later. Right. <laughs> Steph? <laughs> I, I don't remember that specific question, but I do know you need to empty out your air brake canister tank daily right. to clear out any uh, oil or other liquids that may occur. Yeah, we, we've come up upon some pretty authentic assessments. Oh, my gosh, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. So, um, for people who are listening that have no idea, when we say maker education, they don't have any idea what that really means. Can you give them sort of a... Uh, nuts and bolts definition of what without maker education without is. creating a, um, a catharsis. A cathars- <laughs> I don't even know what the word is. Uh, I'm trying to win. Different. I'm trying to win a cathexis. Uh, I'm trying to right. win the word of the day challenge here. Okay. Oh, were we supposed to use that word? Okay, yeah. I'll have to think about that. Right. Um, actually, I it's really simple. It's giving kids a chance to create a space, um, time, and the stuff to create with. And I don't think it matters what topic you're studying or, or you know, what what you thought was going to be the final outcome when it comes to making because it's just giving them a chance to figure out what they want to make and how how they can solve a problem how they can create something because they had empathy for someone that was was having a problem and they wanted to create something to help solve it um very simply that's my definition yeah, yeah. and some people who have you know real life jobs that are makers are i mean it's a wide array it's really everybody you know yeah. teachers are makers engineers are makers architects are makers surgeons are makers yeah. artists are makers um novelists newspaper editors all those people are people are makers because they all have an imprint of creation yeah. uh, and i think you know this this movement towards creation versus consumption is something on the forefront of everybody's mind and something i think that aligns so well with personalized learning um, and, and it helps with that blending of the subjects that's right right so that's it right. takes us away from those silos of information and helps us merge those together 100%. yeah absolutely. I, th- I think it's important to add in in um that it's a safe space. Sure, absolutely. That I think we, we have to make sure that kids, that there is a space where they're making where it's safe to, uh, to know that, you know, maybe your creation doesn't work doesn't right. the first time, right? right? How many times do we hear about, you know, the thousands of iterations of the light bulb That's right. that Thomas and Thomas Edison created before? You know the incandescent bulb that we know of that worked. There were there were so many that failed, um, yeah. and and not that we want to like promote failing. Failing's not fun. It's not ever something that we want to do, but it's something that's necessary in an iterative process. And I think the resiliency metric that comes from that is ultimately what we want out of a makerspace for kids. We want them to understand that a failure or many doesn't define future success, and they're all points of learning. Um, I think the other thing to, to really hone in on about our maker bus and our installations that we're going to do is that we don't operate this in isolation. We certainly can create a space where it's very open and free flowing, but it's also something that we're very tactical about in aligning to standards. Right. You know, <clears throat> making an isolation is valuable, but certainly for kids who are trying to learn and master content, we need to be able to draw that correlation point. And right. so Lee, maybe you can talk about maybe an example of a content standard that we've you know, aligned to? Right. Well, I'm going to focus on literacy just yep. because I am a librarian. And so often I hear maker connected to STEM. That's right. You know, it's constantly, oh, maker's a STEM activity. I've even had someone look at me and say, our school is focused on literacy. 
I don't want to do making because it takes you know, right. focus off of that. Um, some content standard I, I can talk, especially to a tool that we like to use is the three doodler. It's mm-hmm. one of our favorite tools. And, and one of the activities that we do is completely related to literacy. We have, you know, students can teachers will read a story to the students and then have the students rewrite the story um, either write it from a, a character's perspective or create a new um, setting for mm-hmm. the story then they can use the three doodler tool to create their characters or to create the setting make a movie or create a, a paper slide or do something with that thing that they created and and make a different story with it something right. that, that belongs to them that's all theirs that's a literacy connection to to maker education yeah. which i think really does work well yeah absolutely us. i mean you know some of the things that and this kind of jumps into tools and what we can connect to but literally we're working right now on having these sort of alignments k-12 um but when you push out all of the product requirements and allow kids to just design their own evidence of mastery, then really it is about the tools that are available to them because they can use any of them to do really anything that they want. So we've got everything from green screen studios to um, a very expensive epilogue laser cutter to 3D printers to the 3D doodlers to circuit work to Mm -hmm. a soldering iron and a Dremel, um, you know, Mm -hmm. drill. We've got all kinds of no-tech low tech and high tech tools that are going to be on this bus that are that are really just going to be out and made available so that we can connect yeah and give that choice in demonstrating mastery Uh, another thing that we're focused on with the bus is specifically the professional development side of the house and maybe some of this change theory um, as it relates to teaching and leading in schools Mm -hmm. frequently we see a lot of folks just struggle with the permission to do do things differently. Mm-hmm. And I think that making and a maker space allows for people to step outside of their comfort zone and their box a little bit. And through design thinking challenges and strategies and through the, the process of making, we can start to break down some of those strongholds and silos mm-hmm. across education. And so some of it is just, um, you know, a virtual trust fall, you know, not that we're going to be actually doing trust falls, but you know, like, can you trust us enough <laughs> to know. come in? Right. <laughs> Don't rule it out. We do yeah. have some stairs and a very high back end on this bus, <laughs> but do you trust us enough to come in here and just step completely outside of your comfort zone? And if you can survive that with some resiliency and come out unscathed, yeah. what else can you imagine that you could do in your classroom, in your school um, to do something different? important because I think as a, a group, teachers are highly creative and not just art teachers and and music teachers but teachers are highly creative individuals and we're giving them permission to come in here and learn how to to really utilize that in the classroom taking away the fear you know if you they create a lesson plan that doesn't match with their plc lesson plan then they're going to get in trouble right if they come in and do a um a walkthrough but we're giving them that trust too saying you know we trust you to figure out how this connects to your curriculum and then use it in that way now i think it's important to mention that just as students push back (laughs) yes when change happens so too do educators they want to be spoon-fed in this environment and say here is your you know folder full of all of your step-by-step lesson plan directions and all the materials that you're going to need and certainly in a consultative manner we want to be able to provide them with enough information and resource to be able to pull this off on their own however 
it's sort of, again, the anchor point of making that you're not taking something that is pre-designed, pre-prescribed, you know, um, predestined, but rather that you are co-creating in the process. I have a question. What yeah. if a, um, let's ex- as an example, an engineering teacher in a rural county um, has students who have been working on some designs, but they don't have a design cutter and they really just want you to come and bring the design cutter and allow their students to come in and, and, and cut those things out so they can t- continue with their work. Yeah, absolutely. Is that something that could happen? We are definitely game for those kinds of things. I think it would we would be remiss if we didn't also try to anchor down on some other things. You know, we don't want to be a tool rental service. Okay. However, working collaboratively with that teacher to mm-hmm. then maybe not just print out their designs, but have them create videos describing what their designs were and the process and publishing those out, you know, um, so that right. they have this authentic audience to give feedback on those projects. We would always push to the plus one. Yeah. So so what if um, this teacher wanted to plan for next year? Absolutely. Um, and wanted the maker bus to come and wanted some advice on. So before we come, we don't have a laser printer, but we want to incorporate some of these tools into our curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a unit and a time that would be good for us. Um, what does that planning process look like? Have you guys figured that out? Yep. Yeah, well, we could. I mean, we'll definitely. We're looking at a lot of custom ideas. Yeah, right. For that particular instance, I would say we would start talking the teacher about design thinking because the first thing they're going to do is not cut something out on the laser cutter. They're going to prototype it with paper mm-hmm. or balsa wood or something that they can find at Michael's. Then work towards us coming and maybe they're doing a you know, what they feel like is a final testing prototype where they'd like to cut it or they'd like to use our 3D printer um, and then test throughout the day that we're there. Get suggestions, have us work with the kids on their design thinking and the iterative process of of design Um, because it's not really about the tools. It's about the thought. Right. And I think an interesting point and something that's value add, I think when you would, you know, hire us, hire the maker bus for any of these solutions is that it's all customizable. We're going to give custom quotes. Uh, At the end of the day, we're a nonprofit. We're not trying to turn a profit on any of this. We're just trying to cover cost of, of the staff and the equipment that we bring out. You know, we've big bus, big gas bill. Um, But at the end of the day, we're also going to, put tons of stuff out on social media. Mm-hmm. We're going to give you the publication side of it. We're going to give you the communication side of it. We're available asynchronously and via Skype or Google Hangout leading up to the day of arrival so that we can help you scaffold that process. And I can't hammer in enough customizability. People say they want a menu of pricing, but really they don't. They want to know for their specific instance, what is this going to cost? And the best way to do that is through a customizable approach, which Lee's happy to provide. Um, we've got you know a good system in place for that. So people can reach out directly on the email is like mm. oh, bus at ksuiteach.org. That's right. Yeah. So anybody who wants to inquire about getting a visit. KSU. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's <laughs> makerbus at ksuiteach.org, isn't it? We believe so. Email. Hold on just a minute. And oh, the it. email. Yeah. Are you are oh, you I here, thought, Andy? I, I thought we were welcome. Uh, Thank you for joining the I show. Know. Tune in, Jeez. Oh, Friar Tuck. Okay, <laughs> somebody. I need an intern because I, I know. Also, we'll have I Andy coffee. tweet that out so that I mean, you get the. Yeah, but I I really do. I think it's uh, makerbus at ksuiteach.org dot so. org yes. is the email. Hey, so that is the email. Okay. I thought we were talking about websites. I'm like, <laughs> no. So Lee, I have another question. What yeah. if a school has had you out a few times, and or they haven't, but they're interested in starting to design their own makerspace? They have maybe some funding to do that, but they don't know where to get started. Could they contact um, iTeach to help them plan 
something like that? I, I would say absolutely. I'm looking to my boss yeah, to confirm absolutely. that. But yes, I think, um, I mean, I can't think of anything more fun than spending other people's money on a makerspace. It's one of my favorites. She knows because all she did was say, here's what we have. Right. This money. Right. <laughs> um, we has no problem. No spending problem at all. So yes, definitely we can help them build a makerspace that suits their school. Um, I've really gotten into lately the idea of mobile makerspaces within a school, not right. having a everything in in one space where school you know classrooms have to go use it there but putting it on carts where they can take it out into the right. classroom because the same philosophy applies where we want to be out and mobile so too should all the equipment that's available to a school yeah. rather than held in a centralized location where it's limited by space and you know mm-hmm. occupancy yeah yeah and those kind of things you know those are decisions you have to make at the school level so definitely yes we could help absolutely and 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 we have kind of yeah. informally i know that i went out to a school in my neighborhood um, that just someone I knew personally helping with their brand new makerspace a couple years ago and that elementary school is actually going to be they're going for STEM certification next year so it you know it's something that has grown and evolved and they are uh, they're trying to take theirs to the next level next year so absolutely we can and absolutely we have I'm sorry no go ahead a lot of our coaches are getting training. Um, they're attending professional development this summer so that they can help in our counties that we already work in um, support makerspaces. Great. Yes, absolutely. Fantastic. So, again, for those of you who want to know more about MakerEd, um, Lee, do you have like two or three people on Twitter that you would suggest people to follow or organizations to reach Edutopia out to? Edutopia is yep. um, huge. Definitely follow them. MakerEd is also a great um, resource for and that. And then we've got some good friends at Autodesk yes. that have helped us tremendously with this bus um, that we're hoping to meet face-to-face at the launch. Fingers crossed. Yes, fingers crossed. But they've got a great site called Instructables that we promote quite often because it does give great video-based, step-by-step um, ways to start making in your classroom. And you can find anything in there. And I've f- frequently found things to make for dinner even. Yeah, I, <laughs> so. I go there first when I'm need I, I when I'm looking An for idea. how-to. Yeah. The good thing is, too, it can be used with students students to create how-tos and then there's an authentic audience for their writing um they can they create a how-to and then post it to instructable right um, and then other people use it to make something very cool very cool yeah, yeah. and another you know josh Stuppenhorst is on twitter he is a media specialist out uh, in the in the Midwest somewhere. I'm not 100% maybe Illinois or Indiana or something, but he's uh, he's all over Twitter, is very vocal, and yeah. is into making I would rad. say whenever you have a friendly neighborhood media specialist or librarian, talk to them because Absolutely. they'll help you um, figure this out. Well, thank you so much, Lee, uh, for coming in today. You're and welcome. It's um, a pleasure. I will see you in five minutes no let's keep leave for about five more minutes Why? we're 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 a little behind because we started late oh, because, all right. well then you're not allowed to go because okay. we may or may not be live I, mean, I don't know if anyone's listening right now live online so we got a late start and so who's the boss now <laughs> andy's the boss of the radio <laughs> that Good that Lord. clip is going to be on loop no it is not every even. show Remember, i said it not step <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I don't care who said it. It was said. Well, can um, we talk just a second about yeah. what they're doing at ASU yeah. in, the, in the ed department yes. for uh, or for pre-service teachers? Oh, yeah, the in innovation lab. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Absolutely. So, um, 
yeah, I mean, go ahead, Lee. I think you should be the one well, to say it because you've spent the most time working with the, the folks over there, Helen well, Maddox specifically. We have something really special here at KSU, an innovation lab that has lots of maker tools, 3D printers. Um, basically, everything we'll be taking on the bus, it will have in the maker lab for the pre-service teachers, the teachers who are learning about um, becoming teachers. And then they, now they'll know how to do maker ed when they come out of school. And I just think, I think that's unusual and special for a university to that's have right. that. That's right. Hire KSU grads. <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, really, I think um, across the board, this is a, a school of education that's being, you know, recommitting mm-hmm. to innovation, to um, education infused with technology. I think over the next five to 10 years, signals show that the terminology of maybe instructional technology or educational technology will sort of be a, a moot point because it's just going to be teaching and learning using all the tools we have available. To I us. get a little worried that my department would just kind of dissipate into the other departments. No, I think that there's <laughs> always, right. I think that there's always a an expertise area here, but I think that as we become more, um, you know, sort of synonymous with just daily business, mm-hmm. I think that you've got to look for a school of education that's committed to infusing that through all programs, and that's something that KSU has committed to. So I think that's a, a something worth noting for yeah, sure. Um, and then the last thing I'll say about the maker ed space, and this sort of ties in with a, the segment we'll wrap up with today, the plug-in parents. But those of you who have kiddos over the summer who are looking for ways to maybe start to dabble in maker-based learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so sort of equal parts of maker rich environments and traditional old school water balloon fights. Um, we offer summer camps here on campus. I teach maker camp. Um, and <clears throat> so Lee, do you want to talk just a little bit about that? I know you um, haven't been inv- involved in <laughs> that part. This but, year. Yeah. This year I'm on the bus. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, the last two years I've been part of the maker camp and we have had such a great time introducing kids to design thinking, introducing them to tools, also um, having water balloons thrown at us and things like that. Right. But uh, it's a lot of fun and it's it's a little bit of screen time and a lot of design and work and a lot of outside fun. So come to the KSU maker camp this summer. I've got two little ones who will be there. Oh, yes. fantastic! My ki- my both of my children are uh, proud Maker Camp alums. Yes, yes. my yeah. oldest is too, but my two younger ones are joining now. Yeah, right. Yeah, awesome. Juju and Luca are going to be there week one, um, which is so crazy to me that Luke's going into kindergarten and now old enough to officially be a camper and no longer just hanging out in mom's mascot oh camp. Patty Kate, I know I the two of them. Kids. How do we work on a betrothment? You ladies are getting old. <laughs> <I know. laughs> <laughs> oh man alright well thank you so much Lee have we met our five minutes we're there we're there Jeez, yeah Andy. so Lee Martin thank you so very much <laughs> for joining us we know you've been swamped and just incredibly busy this last uh, particular last few weeks um, with with the bus and its arrival and this event that we've got going on uh, the launch on Wednesday so uh, thank you so very much for taking time out of your busy schedule for coming into the show and, and talking to us about Maker Ed and the bus. And well, thank you for having me. It's been nice to spend the morning with you. Awesome. Even though you're the only one listening. We love you, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and I will, uh, in 25 minutes when this show's over, I will run Des Vouse with you, and we will continue Maker busing it. Fantastic. So let's listen to a quick word from uh, from our friend Jamie Cassip at Google. And, uh, and then when we come back, we'll be talking about uh, some tips for summer PD for fall PL. This is Jamie Cassop, Chief Education Evangelist at Google, and you're listening to I Teach Live with Andy, Stephanie, and Anissa on KSUL Radio. Hootie hoo!
And we're back. Look at Anissa is a pro on the board. I think we nailed that one. Man. We had I to mean, play it low because the reverb is uh, still giving us trouble. Look at you. Sound engineer on top of all of your other qualifications <laughs> is just too much for me to handle. That's, I tell you, you know, Smoke. I like sound engineers. So if you remember the movie Swingers from, you know, way back, my, Vince Vaughn, and they're at a party. and, and uh, Mostly professional. Right. Mostly. <laughs> they ask, they, they're asking around, like, what do you do? And, and all the people are kind of like they're waiters and they're trying to get into the industry. And they turn to Vince Vaughn and they say, what do you do? And he goes, I'm a producer. And they're like, oh, so that's that's my new line. When, yeah. What do you do, Andy? I'm a producer <laughs> of, of a I teach live podcast Te- slash radio show. Teacher doesn't get me the oohs and ahs anymore. I know, but producer, it should. Yeah, it should. Will my will my teens' friends believe me when I say, oh, I'm DJ Doctor V? Oh my Dr. gosh, v. Jazzy V on the ones and twos, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That sounds like mixing the board. Oh. Dr. V here oh, with you on this late night it's entertainment like, phone line. Okay, okay probably copyrighted. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I am really pumped about this next segment. Yeah. Um, we had a little brainstorm sesh, the three of us, as we always do, talking about last show, next show, what do we want to hit on? And the idea that we've really come to the point in time when you need to start thinking deep conversations with Jack Handy about what are you doing next year right. in your classroom? What are you going to do this summer to set the stilts for the house that you're going to build with your kiddos in the fall? And so that's where the whole idea of summer PD for fall PL came to play. Um, and what are we calling you, this segment, Stephanie? Uh, what are we calling this segment, Andy? We're calling this segment just the tip. We're going to give you a tip. I hate you. <laughs> That was the best setup Andy. pitch I've ever thrown. Uh, let the record show. <laughs> I'm if you, uh, we need a live feed because you had to see Stephanie's eyes scanning the show notes for the tip, for the, uh, for the title, and, uh, and she found it. So. Okay, let's go back to professional. Thank you. We are going to share out with you all on Twitter. Um, For those of you who are going to listen back, it'll still be out on the feed and we'll continue to share it out. But we've created a document that really captures, um, you know, lots of interesting links, ideas, artifacts for how you can best prepare yourself over this next few months for a classroom that would have PL as a cornerstone in the fall. And so, um, Andy, I'll let you maybe start with the first section we're going to cover here, which is conferences. Yeah. So let's talk about some conferences. I tried to give a uh, like two month window here, and as Steph said, we're going to share this out so you can see. So there are some biggies coming up that everyone's familiar with, um, some that maybe you've not heard about, but we're just going to breeze through these real quick. So there are uh, for May we've got coming up. There's a new schools summit. Uh, if anybody's looking to get out to California, to Burlingame, California, and uh, this one is a uh, maybe you're not looking to get out because this is an invite only. Um, but they. Um, that's going on. So you're advertising a conference that they can't get so to. So exclusive they can't go to. All right, let's go on to the next one. Uh, dream big. 
Dream big. So uh, we've got in June, the National Charter Schools Conference is coming up from 17th in Austin, Texas. Um, let's just skip to the biggie here in our world is ISTE. Yep, that's the big um, one. That is. June 24th through the 27th. Those are the three official days. There's always a couple of pre-conference days, too, if you're fortunate to go to those. And Chicago this yeah, year. Yeah, Chi-Town this, ta- this year. So yeah. if you've not been to Chicago, if you've not been to ISTE, this really is, uh, as it's described on the document here, the epicenter of EdTech. So ISTE is kind of the the recognized standard, if you will. They've got standards for teachers, students, administrators, mm-hmm. um, sure uh, all of those these days. And they really, um, if you've not been to a gigantic all things EdTech conference, I guess you got to you got to do a C at least once. It's social. It's fun. You learn yes. lots of stuff. Yes. Uh, and it's a great place to meet up with your PLN, which is another section that we covered here on the sure. document. Um, yeah. Those that you follow on Twitter all year long or teachers in other classrooms that you mm-hmm. want to connect with who are doing work that you maybe want to emulate. Teachers are great sharers, um, and they're also really good about following up. They're not people who are going to ghost on you after you have this face-to-face meeting. So um, definitely ISTE is where all that that falls apart. Absolutely. And then right around the corner, our good friends uh, at Elements. You know, we had uh, we had at Elements CEO Anthony Kim on last month in an interview. They're hosting their personalized learning summit. I think this is their fourth, uh, mm-hmm. their fourth installment. It's coming up May 2nd in San Francisco. Um, that's always a good place to be if you're if you're in personalized learning or looking to move into personalized learning. They are uh, they're a good resource. Yep, and for sure, all of these, even if they're the hyper exclusives that you can't get to, or if they just don't work with your timeline, I'd encourage you to just do a quick Google search for the Twitter hashtags that they're going to be using for those events, because yeah. you're going to get a wealth of resource just trolling them on Twitter. Um, seeing what people are tweeting out at the event live, you know, generally also at ISTE, there's a whole separate hashtag, not at ISTE, um, where people are just connecting and sharing resources and information, even if you can't attend live. So Twitter... Um, as the ever-present conference <laughs> is also available to you. That's it, yeah. And then the last one I've got on the list here is one I'm not familiar with, but it's June 19th through the 21st in Napa Valley, California. A nice little Sold. getaway if you, you can get there. You had Cabernet. And it's a, it's a PBL <laughs> world is the name of the conference, and it's all about project-based learning. So if you're into and that, by the Buck Institute it is of hosted by the Buck right. Institute. Who are the so premier some, um, PBL folks out yeah, there? Yeah, they they there's a little credibility right there uh, for this conference. Wine and credibility. What what more do teachers again, need? You had me at maybe a Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so moving on, we've got another section here on our summer PD for fall PL. If you are planning to institute, um, you know, some of the conditions of personalized learning in your classroom in the fall, first and foremost, I want to encourage you to start with that prioritized executive function. So we haven't mm-hmm. called that out yet, but dig into as much resource as you can find in that area. We plan to talk about that more in a later show That's once right. we actually have an audience. Right. Because so I think we're it's hoping, really important yes. for everyone to hear about that. So we're going to completely segue that part and we'll give you lots of good resources for executive function explicitly being included in your classroom in that episode. Um, but other things that you can kind of, uh, you know, sort of 
hone in on are any of the technologies, the platforms, the software, the tools that you have available to you. We talked about authentic and adaptive assessment today, and certainly many schools and districts have things available to them that teachers, frankly, just aren't aware of how they can leverage them to their full potential. But badges are a great other way to kind of dig in a little bit to tools that you might have at your disposal in your school or district. You can do Google certifications through all the levels, Microsoft, MIE. Um, There's also the specialty tools, you know, one-off. You can do Nearpod, Swivel, Flipgrid, all these ambassador programs. Apple's got some. We had a couple of uh, some iTeach coaches that just uh, uh, finished and completed their uh, Apple and the great thing about some of these is, is that yes, you're anteing in with, you know, some learning and some time spent, but you're getting a great certification that you can add to your, you know, your CV, your resume, but also most of them come with a little bit of swag. And so, you know, for example, um, you know, if you're an ambassador with Nearpod, you might get a little bit of extra content. If you're an ambassador with Flipgrid, you might get an upgraded account. And so you do get sort of a payout tangibly for your time commitment with some of these badges as well. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about PLNs real quick. Yeah. How do you connect with your PLN? Anybody out there? Stephanie? Hello? Yeah, I think my PLN is, um, it's so funny, you know, and it really is like this in all of life, but you can't have all the pots on the stove at the same time without the rice burning on the bottom of their pan, you know? And I think that for me right now in this season of my life... literal experience. Yes. I'm a terrible cook. Right. I now use my Instapot for rice and it's helped me immensely. Um, But right now my PLN is is struggle bussing along because I've had so much that I've had to do in my face-to-face world. And I do have a great PLN. I have 60 folks built in as a PLN just in my own team. And then I've got, I live in a department with, you know, DJ Jazzy V over here and all of the professors in the iTech department that are a great source of of information and, and collegial learning. And so I think that for me, a PLN right now, I do, I troll Twitter a lot, but I don't have a specific group. Like, you know, these folks that you'll see at ISTE that'll meet and they'll all have the same t-shirt on and like, right. like the tourists at Disney World that have the flag they follow around the park. Like they're a very tight knit group. And if you are one of those po- folks, God bless you. But I just don't have time to commit to that right yeah. now. Um, and so I'm a little bit more buckshot rather than the sniper right, you know, right. approach to my PLN right now. Right. Um, but there's a lot of great places to plug in here, even here locally in Atlanta. You've listed one of the ed camps that's happening here in Atlanta. We have Coffee Edu that meets up. We have um, like ed chat groups. I'm thinking about hosting a couple of the meetups this summer up in my neck of the woods in the Canton, Woodstock, Collie Springs area. We've got a couple of new great little WeWork spaces, uh, WeWork spaces and coffee joints that are um, cropping up around the right. area. So they've got some good space for us to meet in. So I mean, what better excuse to just get away and get some coffee than yeah. I'm going to go do some professional learning? Right. Mm-hmm. Totally counts. How, that's That to me is like, that's a... St- Right. You know, if you ever win, want win. something in school, if you say it's for the safety of the kids, how do they, how do they say no? Right? To me, <laughs> how does your spouse say no? I'm going to go do professional learning. Right. At and my the great thing house. is, too, and I'm going to spend fifty dollars. Right. In a double chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> the great thing too is, if you are an educator in Georgia, um, you know, the portfolio approach to assessment and credentialing is now in effect. So all of these things are documentation pieces that you add to that portfolio for mm-hmm. your um, eventual recertification. And so please document everything. Right. 
everything you do over the summer. We all know teachers, y'all work in all summer long, whether right. you And we, we can't say anymore the three best reasons to go into education are June, July, and August, right? No, that, that's that not does true. not fit anymore. It was never true. That, uh, I don't know who you are, but <laughs> <laughs> it was never my reality. That's, that's an old joke I heard some old folks saying a long time ago. So. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it really, I've seen, you know, I've seen the... You know, I don't even know where it came from, so this might be a, a made-up fact or fake news. But right. <laughs> where, where teachers, on average, work more hours through a, a school year than a than a oh, there's plenty of data uh, yeah. than a regular forty-hour work through fifty. <laughs> 52 weeks so you know we work throughout through the summers um yeah, sure, our so. days all year long oh yeah that's right and you know truly the summer should be the time when you find your passion project and you dig in and you know don't be one of these people that shows up 12 hours before the kids show back up again in the fall and then thinks you're gonna just again go to the file cabinet pull out the sheets right. run to the copier I mean, lame. Don't phone it in like that. Yeah. You know, capitalize on your opportunity to, to have that. I always loved that sense of like refresh and renewal at the beginning of every school year. Speaking of phone it in, I'm, I'm just going to say I'm a little disappointed. No one's calling. Well, no, no one. one can hear us. I've, I've blasted the phone number out. They can't hear what we're saying. But why were they going to call in? Like, yeah. Be like, hey, Andy, how's, you know, your mom? Right. <laughs> <laughs> they can't. They, they don't want to call in when about. they're on the radio, not when they're going to be just talking to us. They're, they're right. going to have to like guess what we're talking about. All right, so maybe listening. If you're listening to this right now, I'm going to assume it's not live. You get a reprieve this week. Right. Next week, however. <laughs> next month, you mean? Next month, however, I'm going to expect these phone lines to be blowing up. Well, let's just remember how the phones worked last time. While they did work, That's we right. did burst a few eardrums out there. We did. That's it was like that noise, including mine. No, I'm sorry. I'm I don't sorry. have headphones on on purpose, just in case anything goes kerwampus. I don't have to listen to it. I'm going to get us back on the railroad tracks. Back yes. on and get back to this summer PD for fall PL. PD for fall PL. So here's a great uh, couple of resources that the document that I just tweeted out and that we will continue to share out have for you in the way of planning. I know for me personally, the biggest change that I had to make for my own time investment was to stop doing daily lesson plans in my classroom and what better time to start thinking about this unit approach to planning than the summer and get some of those anchor points out of the way while you don't have the busy grading classes all in your face all at the same time. Um, so I've linked here on our planning doc or our summer PD doc on our planning uh, a unit template that I put together that's just a combination. It takes sort of a marriage of the best things of understanding by design and, um, and UDL universal design for learning and sort of marries them into a singular template for unit planning. Um, it's certainly not a definitive, you know, research tested. Just get you thinking. Thing. Yeah, but it's just something that I think has good pockets of both of those resources mm -hmm. and something to get you thinking. And maybe it's usable, maybe it's not, but it'll just be a, an idea template for you. Um, we've also got <clears throat> a good little article linked here. A lot of folks over the summer do have to pack up all their stuff and stack it up for waxing those floors. Mm -hmm. So when you get back and you want to read sort of situate your room think about reworking that physical space for some flexibility so there's and executive function that's right and some executive function not meaning that kids have to ask before entry on every point that they might uh, you know need during the day but that the room is set up in a way that they can physically understand their space and navigate around it individually without your and take responsibility yes, for some of their activity that's totally right um, the third is just a tip um, 
know your prioritized standards and chuck the pacing guide. I don't want to tell you that a pacing guide is always bad, but if you Some are someone... schools might just hear you say that and right. say, okay, this, this radio show is banned. That's fine. I'm a little, I'm a little okay with being a little outside what people are comfortable with. Okay. And here's why. The pacing guide is not innately evil if you use it as a guide. If you use it as the Bible, the Quran, the, you know, Dead Sea Scrolls, all of the pieces, <laughs> like if you marry to it to the degree that you can't separate from it. It is in a name, recipe as if right. it was going to make or break right. the cake. Like potato right. salad. Some people who are weird like raisins in their potato salad. I'm going to omit that from my recipe because that's not what I want. Hold on. Yes. This has just struck me this weekend. Someone told me that people put raisins in their potato salad. Fail. I know. It's gross, but some Wrong. people like it. So all that to say, if you have a good understanding of what your prioritized standards are and you don't get in the weeds of all of these elements and all the minutia underneath those prioritized standards, and you can use the pacing guide as a guide only and not as the definitive end-all be-all of what your kids should do every day, then you're fine. And I think just a tip to start that conversation with yourself, check your own understandings and beliefs about that. Get a good, if you haven't had a conversation with your assistant principal and your principal for curriculum in the last two to three years, now's the time. You'd be surprised how many times people are afraid to have a, just an earnest conversation about what does curriculum look like for you? What are you really tight on and what are we loose on at this school? What do we really believe about curriculum? talk about that right um or, or here's what i want to try that's right what are, you, what are your thoughts will you support me and what, you know, what are the pitfalls and how can we get around them that's right yeah. and you know not, here's the pitfalls now we're not going to do it and i will i will <laughs> quote anthony kim in the book you know the new school rules again is this safe enough to try right that single piece of text has stuck with me out of that book so many times in the last couple of months since i read it as a leader are you okay with something if it's safe enough to try if there's a no harm understanding is this something that we could see if it works for the benefit and to leaders specifically under the planning section i've listed out a, a great little piece here from getting smart master scheduling for leaders this is the number one piece of content and comment that i get back from teachers and leaders is that we don't have time to do personalized learning right. we can't because we have this bell schedule well guess what you're the ones that make the bell schedule so it's certainly within your purview to readjust it and look at it differently um, so I would just say to leaders, do your due diligence as well. I know you're not off all of that time, but you certainly do get some time off in the summer. And this is not even time off work. This is real, real time on work to readjust that master schedule to allow for flexibilities. And then the last little plug, maybe Anissa, you want to talk about this? Well, because we do have a logistical challenge with that. And that is that oh, um, yeah. to take courses be a, be a, mm -hmm. at the university, you've got to do, um, have your application in at the graduate college by April 1st. So think about that for next April. That's right. All right. Or that, those of you who are already enrolled. That's not a joke, by the way. No. April 1st. Yeah, it is not, no it's not April Fool's Day. Hashtag no joke. Yes, um, you really do have to have it in by then. And so next summer, um, go ahead and consider taking um, some courses through the university. We certainly have our new personalized learning course mm -hmm. um, that Stephanie and I co-teach. But we also have some online teaching endorsement courses. And we also have some other Absolutely. fabulous endorsement and graduate courses here in the Bagwell College. Absolutely. And I would just say for those who are already enrolled in graduate studies here at the university, if you are not 
taking more than the one sort of like coverall instructional technology course, then you're truly missing out on a great opportunity and a wealth of information. And I believe that if you've graduated within the past two semesters, you can actually still come back. That's right. And enroll for a course. That's right. So check us out iTech 7600 is the personalized learning course. That's where we'll be all summer. We will be in it to the knees. <laughs> we will be in it. Um, because we are running that course, not only about personalized learning, but as a personalized learning experience. So we are going to be hot and heavy with some co-planning and yeah. doing it's, a lot of We decided of it was safe enough, safe enough to try. That's right. We might be cuckoo at the end of it. It might be. Safe enough to try for sure. You might be cuckoo before it. We already are because yeah. we got to sit in here with you. <laughs> Lucky you. All right, we are we are bumping up on the end of time. So we are I'm gonna skip the promo and the transition um slide on this one. And let's just jump right into plug in parents. And and the topic today, plug in parents, is summer remedies. And I, I really liked how um I know Stephanie mentioned something about uh, in our maker ed discussion about having parameters and it's not just this free for all go make in school and over the summer why not have yeah, a free-for-all go make challenge your kids to build a fort and if they're youtubers like mine are i always challenge my children that's that's cool that you're youtube why don't you go make a fort and document it mm -hmm. like create a how-to for how to build a bamboo fort because we've got this giant bamboo forest out in the field behind the house you mm -hmm. know so document for kids maybe that don't know how to make a bamboo fort how do you make a bamboo fort let's make a cool video let's upload yeah. it to youtube and let's get some people watching it well and, this and let's is start also... generating some revenue and you can start paying yeah rent. generating some <laughs> revenue this is also a great way though to start to on those executive function skills in a in the summer time as a parent i know for us we've set two goals for our little guy um you know one i won't share because he probably will be personally offended later in life I shared this issue that he's trying to overcome. Okay. And then the second one is that he learns to tie his shoes by the time he starts kindergarten in the fall, um, which, you know, right now he, he says he can, and it just looks like, you know, the rats from the secret of Nim got into his laces and just made them into a web of knots. However, um, it's not just that I'm giving him a pair of shoes and like making him tie them over and over and over again. We're doing all kinds of things. We have a bunch of ropes and a bunch of strings and cardboard pieces that are all laced up so that he can practice tying things that are not shoes and shoes all summer long. Um, so set them goals, but then make it fun for them. And just, you know, we've got a, a one of the two cars side of our garage is now just a housing ground. We call it the cockroach motel because we have so much cardboard in there because Julia, <laughs> my daughter, is saving all this cardboard to be able to make stuff out of over the summer. Um, but just let them make. Also, there's some structured things that you can do. There's some really great things out there. I always push people, again, to Instructables because it's very kid-friendly. Um, there's also really great resources at JAM, J-A-M. It's a great um, service that you can sign up to take courses for things like cartooning, animation. Um, there's Minecraft courses that you can take on JAM. So we sign them up for like a little MOOC and they take it over the summer on something that they're passionate about that really is uh, at their own pace and the modules unlock when they demonstrate mastery. So it's a really great little example of that. But check in on those makers. That's right. Because um, they might be in the garage and like my 13 year old they might build a an air gun from scratch using a lighter oh good um and nails as bullets stop <laughs> 
and it could kill someone. So we had to, you know. Oh yeah, make some adjustments. Make some adjustments. A marshmallow yeah. this blaster is, is plenty. Take, yeah. Potato take, guns are not legal anymore, by the way. Okay, well we took we took away the ammunition. Right. So oh bless his heart. Good yeah. good college try though. Smart. Buzzkill. Smart. Yes. Clever. Original design, but not for public consumption. Yeah. So you got to check in on them. Yes, and I think too, you know, let's do some old school stuff with these kids you know let's get them into a swim class let's get them into <laughs> you know uh, an outdoor like ymca kind of thing that's why at our maker camp we really try to level out equal parts of that maker experience it's pretty structured with like tag and balloon toss and you know <laughs> old school fun with peers that helps them develop those executive function skills yeah, we've reached our time limit, and I didn't even notice over here the recording has stopped. I hit record again. I don't know what's going to happen, so we'll see. It looks like it started a new recording. Oh, my gosh. So. Well, we don't know we need a new recording. We'll right, just... so we'll, we'll wrap up. I don't see our ending music in the playlist here, so we'll just... <laughs> Going we'll just, dead. We're we'll going just dead. Leave it on uh, on this. We we will. We we've discussed uh, you know whether or not we're going to be here over the summer. I think we've decided we we are going to take one month off, but it's not going to be next month. So we'll be back in uh, May at the end of May with a with a show. Uh, will be the last show for the regular 2017 2018 school year. Um, and then hey, we'll, and I want to uh, talk about innovation. Yes, I want to talk about how school leaders who are about to plan. Uh, strategic planning, maybe it's not quite time, but they want to get creative and they want to start thinking out of the box so that when they write their strategic plan, they're thinking out 10 years instead of just three, two yeah. to three years right in front of their nose, right. that they can go through a creative exercise with us in the Innovation Lab. Love it. Um, as with their leadership team, or with some representatives from their school, and we can get them thinking outside of the box. All right. I will put that on my to-do list. Thanks. For the next so show. shout out to all your school leaders out there. Reach Holla out at to your girls and boy. There we go. So <laughs> that's it. So we'll wrap up for all of our listeners out there. Thank you for joining Stephanie, Anissa. Thank you, ladies, thank uh, you. as always. And until the next episode, cheers. I Teach Live is produced by the instructional technology coaches from iTeach at Kennesaw State University with the cooperation of the Instructional Technology Department, the Bagwell College of Education, and KSU OWL Radio. You can reach out to them for more information, questions, or comments at their website, iteach.kennesaw.edu, or on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at KSU iTeach. <laughs>